When does a joke turn into a dad joke? When it becomes apparent. Most people are shocked when they find out what a bad electrician I am. What did one eye say to the other eye? Between you and me, something smells. <laughs> one more. Don't be dismissed. No, one more. What did the paper say? You make a good point. Well, that's kind of what I'm wanting. I know they're bad. I can't wait to see my grandkids. You know, the, the, the oldest grandson, he's 17, and he just sort of rolls his eyes and goes, mm, and, and tries to think of a friend's house he can go to visit. Uh, our next grandson, he's 12, and he thinks, cool. And he starts looking up kids to, uh, to write and, or call and, and share that joke with them. Our granddaughter, she's 10, and she still thinks, oh, Papa, you're so smart. You're so, you're so wonderful. I just love your jokes. So I enjoy all three of, three of them at all three of those, those stages. And I'm telling you that there is not a more important job or ministry in all the world than being a good dad and a good grandfather. Regardless of what you do to earn an income, the job you have to raise your children is by far the most important ministry, the most important job you will ever, ever have. Ephesians chapter 6. Turn with me there. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word provoke there has the idea of goading them, of doing things to cause them to be angry, to be frustrated. Actually, the, the word wrath, uh, it comes with the meaning of or, uh, aspiration, uh, frustration, where you're, you're doing things in their life that uh, is... Uh, frustrating where they're not able uh, to, to determine exactly the direction that you would have them to go, to, prov to provoke them to anger, to provoke them to, to wrath, to, to goad them, uh, is what God's Word tells us here that we are not to do, that we're to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. See, and that entails involving yourself in their lives. To, tr to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord entails involving yourself 
in their lives realizing that the work that you are doing when it comes to your children, and I really believe grandchildren also, the realization that comes to you dads is that this is what I'm here for. This is by far my most important ministry. I cannot tell you how many pastors, how many preachers have blown it because they would get so wrapped up in their ministry with the church that they would lose sight of their most important one. And that was their ministry that was running around all around them, wanting them to play baseball, wanting them to come out and throw a ball with them, wanting them to, to involve themselves in their lives. But the ministry came first. Well, I'm here to tell you, my kids have always come first, and I think that's the way God wanted it. That was by, well, God's always come first. Don't want you to misunderstand. But my most important ministry has always been to my household to my children, and raising them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6. Is this mic going in and out? Deuteronomy chapter 6. Start with verse 6. I'll start with verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And dads, I want you listening. By the way, let's make sure that we pray for all the dads of our church. Dan, we pray for you, brother. Rick, we pray for you. All of you especially the young dads. Pray for Josh. Pray for, for Eric. Pray for all of these young dads. Lift them up. Aaron, make sure you pray for them. Aaron Brewer. Aaron Markham. What a tremendous job they have, especially in today's times. It's not easy. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in your heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Now, if you're going to teach the words of God to your children, what does that mean? You need to know the words of God. You need to study Teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie, lie down and when you rise up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy head, hand and thou shalt be as frontlets between thy eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. In other words, the word of God, dads and, and moms, needs to be important to you. Not secondary, not something that you tuck under your arm, your Bible, on your way to church on Sunday, but it needs to be important and your kids need to see it as important. 
I can't tell you how many young people, especially boys, that I've counseled, not canceled, I can't do that, counseled, some even the children of pastors, who when they think of their dad, they think of a hypocrite, and you have to work past that because they would see how their dad lived and acted during the week, but boy, on Sunday, he took that Bible under his arm, and boy, he would come to church, and he would sing the loudest, and he had opened the Bible, and he could quote the Scripture, but he didn't live the Scripture. I'm telling you, dads, you are going to leave a legacy to your children. I hope and pray you choose to leave the kind of legacy that is honoring to God not one that causes them to embrace the world. Being a dad is a tough job. I think it's the best in the world. But it's important that our kids see consistency. It's important that our kids see that we love the Lord Jesus, that we love their mother, that we love the people of God. But and we love them. They should never, ever have to wonder, does my dad love me? I'm telling you, being a dad is much more important than just furnishing a roof over their heads, clothes on their back, food on their table. There are other needs that children have, emotionally, physically, but most importantly, spiritual, spiritually. And that's when we step up to the plate. That's when we understand our role and how important it is to be a dad. And fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, in the discipline and the instruction from God's word. See, that tells them how much you truly love them. Look at Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6. That verse ought to be familiar with, uh, to you. That's the, when Pat's playing Jesus Loves Me, that verse is usually up on the screen. Tim usually puts that up on the screen. I like that. I like that reminder. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word train there literally means to hedge in, to build a fence around, to hedge in, train up a child, provide the way that a child should go, hedge them in so that they're going to go the right direction. That hedging in has to do with protection. Shepherds used to build a hedge and and they would drive their sheep, they would corral their sheep, then they would drive their sheep down that lane that that hedge provided. That's the idea here. Is you take those sheep, you might call them children, but you take those sheep and you have them hedged in and there's protection and there's no wolf, there's no lion, there's no bear, there's no critter. They can dare harm them or get to them because you have hedged them in. 
and the protection is there for them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. You know, that truth, that inspiration by the Holy Spirit was given to Solomon. God's Word tells us that he was the wisest man to have ever lived or will ever live. That's what God's Word says about Solomon. But as you study the Scripture, you realize that in his later years, he really did blow it. He really had a difficult time. Early on in Solomon's ministry and his relationship with God was right on. And he followed after his father David until he started doing something that God had warned and said not to do. As a matter of fact, it was the, number, it was the first commandment, which is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. What trouble did Solomon get into? Other gods. And whose other gods? His wives. 700 wives. No man needs more than 200, right? No. I was just seeing if you were awake and listening. 700 wives, 300 concubines, the influence of their gods, the influence of him. And somebody once said, well, it has to do with political arrangements. I don't care what the excuse. It wasn't pleasing to God. It wasn't God's system. It wasn't God's method. And for a wise man, maybe politically, that was the wrong thing to do. And those different wives brought in the false gods from all the different countries they represented. And those false gods were filthy, vile, gods like Baal and Molech and all satanic. And here was the king involving himself in all of that and trying to give all of these wives the attention that they demanded and show them love and respect that he adopted all of their gods. He broke that very first commandment, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt, that in the second commandment, thou shalt not... Uh, make any false images. He did all of those things. And all through his life, he had difficulty. Look at 1 Kings chapter 2. 1 Kings chapter 2. Solomon was greatly influenced by his dad. Who was his father? David. David was his father. You talk about a legacy. As a matter of fact, all the future kings of Judah, all the future kings of Israel are going to be judged based on David's standard. God's word tells us that David was a man after God's, God's own, own heart. 
First Kings chapter 2. Look at his charge to his son before he dies. First Kings chapter 2. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong therefore and show thyself a man. A man of God. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgment and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest and whatsoever thou turnest thyself. See the emphasis on the word of God that David shared with Solomon. What David was emphasizing here was the word of God. This shepherd king, this king warrior, this warrior priest emphasized the word of God as he shared with his son the importance of God's word. David is the standard for all the kings of Judah and Israel. And that really is good news to you, dads. Dads. You need to understand that. He was the standard. But we know David was not perfect. We know that David had serious family issues. We know that David made huge mistakes. He slipped up. He didn't do it right all the time. But the one thing that David did... And he was, God's word says in Proverbs that he, well, David, uh, David prayed for, uh, Lord, keep me as the apple of, of your, your eye. That was David's prayer in Psalms. But the one thing that he did that it was so clear is that his intent always, his heart's desire was to serve the Lord, to seek after God that he depended upon God, and it was evident. Yes, he made mistakes, but when he did, what did he seek? God's forgiveness. When he slipped up, what did he do? He turned to God. David always made sure that God was first in his life. He was dependent upon God. When I think of David, I think of a book that I started reading years ago, Never, never got a chance to finish it. I, somebody borrowed it. I, I mentioned it in a sermon. This was years ago. I think the book was, was written in the early 90s. I think it was published in, in 1990. And, but it was, a great, it was a great book as I started reading it. It was called uh, A Man of Steel and Velvet. You ever heard of that book? A Man of Steel and Velvet. And folks, that's what we're looking in our, for in our dad's in our granddads, in our men, men of steel and velvet, men who don't apologize for being strong, men who don't apologize for being manly, men, men who do not apologize for their gender. They understand God made them this way. God's given them a purpose. God has a plan for their lives. They are men of steel. They're hard 
They understand if they're called upon to protect their family, they can protect their family at all costs. But there's also that velvet side. There's that soft side, that humble side, that giving side. That's what God calls us to be, a man of steel and velvet. As I was preparing for this, I thought I'd go on Amazon and look to see if I could order this book. And it's still in print. You can still order it. It's good. But then I started reading the reviews. And I wonder, had I read the reviews back in 1990 when it was published, how those reviews would differ from the reviews today. If you were to look at the reviews today, you would not want to buy this book. Well, some gave it a good review. But most, or a lot, of the reviews, I, quit. I can't say I read all of them. Many of the reviews, well, they, this, this author needs to live in the 21st century. This author, he needs to forget these antiquated, out-of-date, old ideas about a man being manly. I was, I was shocked when I read the reviews of this book. Recent reviews. It shows you exactly how messed up the world is when it comes to the role of a man and the role of a woman. I was shocked. Dads, I'm telling you, what God calls you to be is a man of steel and velvet. That your wives and your children can depend upon you to be strong when you need to be strong but they know you're going to love on them too because you're soft. In the head, but in the heart. Amen? It's what God calls us to be. David was the standard. You're talking about a legacy. You're talking about God's blessing on David. When David died, look at 1 Kings 3. The influence that he had on Solomon early. And I'll tell you why he had this influence on him. Not because he didn't make mistakes. He made mistakes. But because his influence on his son was one of a man who loved God. And a man who put God first. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3. I love the way this starts. And Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of David his father, only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. Look at verse 5. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And we know what Solomon asked for. Lord, give me wisdom. Didn't ask for riches. Didn't ask for power. He asked for wisdom. So what did God give him? God gave him wisdom. Look at verse, look verse 14. God's promise to him. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. Boy, it goes back to David. Talk about a legacy. See, that's the kind of father I want to be. 
Not the one that makes mistakes, but the one who loves God and their children know that I love God. I want to be that standard. I, I, I want to be that father like David was. Even God tells him, if you walk like your father David, then I will lengthen your days. The common denominator of all the kings of Israel and Judah, by the way, by the way, the reason uh, Israel and Judah, the kingdom was split, is because of Solomon's sin. It's because God was not going to honor uh, Solomon's sin. So the northern kingdom was split from the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom went to Jeroboam. The southern kingdom to Solomon's son, Rehoboam. And bad things ensued. Not a single king of the northern kingdom, Israel, sought after God. They sought after the gods of all the, the, the wives and the people of the tribes that, that God had run out of the land of Canaan to begin with. They brought all them back in. They did not follow after, after David. Look at 1 Kings 15. 1 Kings 15. And I could, I could go through, we're just going to look at a few examples. Because every one of these kings, it was either said they walked after David or they didn't walk after David. But can you imagine that kind of legacy? Can you imagine having that kind of influence? 1 Kings 15. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. 1 Kings 15, 11. And Asa did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, as did David his father. Now his father, it wasn't his father, it was his great-great-grandfather. But from God's perspective, he was doing it the way David did. And you know what? That pleased God. Asa had a son, Jehoshaphat. <laughs> Just love Jehoshaphat. Look at 1 Kings 22. Man, there's so many things that went on in Jehoshaphat's life after he became king. Look at verse 22, uh, chapter 22. Verse 43. 43. 1 Kings 22, verse 43. And he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father. And Asa walked in the ways of who? David. Doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And what was it? And you go back and you look at Asa. Did Asa make mistakes? Asa made some mistakes. Did Jehoshaphat make mistakes? He made some mistakes. But he still pleased God. Because he did exactly what God called on him to do. First of all, was not introduced the, the false gods. He made sure that, it, that Judah worshipped God, the true and living God. 
And then when there was time for repentance, there was true repentance. When it was time to stand up and call the people to repent, they would stand up and they call the people to repent. When it was time to depend on God, they depended on God. And he walked in all the ways of Asa, his father, and he turned not aside from it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away for the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. It seemed like there was always something left undone. God's Word tells us that not only did that Asa and Jehoshaphat um, they allowed these burnt offerings in the high places, not where the burnt offerings and the sacrifices were to take place. They continued to do them in the high places. Didn't please God. Always seems like they compromised a little bit with the people. Okay, we're not going to do it completely. One of the things that all, both Asa and Jehoshaphat did is they took a firm stand against the Sodomites there in Judah that were pushing the people, I think, toward a precipice of destruction. But Asa was a good king. Jehoshaphat was a good king. And I wish that I could say that Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, was a good king. But he was introduced to Ahab's daughter. Ahab was the king of Israel. He was a bad king. He was one of the worst of the kings. Ahab had a wife, and his wife's name was Jezebel. And we know all the stuff that Jezebel led them into. Well, they had a daughter, and Jehoram, he looked at this daughter and went, Wow, we. And he ends up marrying her, and the trouble begins. The trouble begins. And his mother-in-law was extremely powerful and influenced them. Then Jehoram's son becomes king. Joash. Look at Second Chronicles. And he's saying, what's the point of all this? I hope you figure that out. Second Chronicles chapter 24. Jehoshua, uh, Second Chronicles chapter 24. You know, first... First, Second Kings, and First, Second Chronicles—they uh, all cover a good bit of the same uh, same stories. Uh, one from a priestly uh, view, the other from a political view. But Second Chronicles 24, verse one, and Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned forty years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Zebiah of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoda the priest. And he has them rebuild the temple. 
after Joash, Amaziah becomes king. Second Chronicles 25.2 talks about him. Talks about how he did that which was right, but it wasn't perfect compared to who? To David. He almost did it right, the scriptures say, but he's not quite like his father, David. Boy, you can study that. The legacy just continues. The, the attitude, the teaching, the vision that David had, that legacy just continued as God honored that. Then we have Uzziah. God's Word says that he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Folks, as you go through all these good kings of Judah and the bad kings of Judah and the bad kings of Israel, the one common denominator is they either did which was right in the eyes of the Lord compared to that standard that David had set, or they didn't. And there was destruction, there were difficult times for all of them. Every one of the kings, Jehoshaphat, Asa, they, there was war. And, and you know who they warred against? This is what's so sad. If you, as you do a study of all of those first and second kings and first and second chronicles, as you do a study, do you know who the thorn in the flesh to Judah was and their kings for most of those years? Israel, the northern kingdom. They were fighting against their cousins. You know, it makes you, Satan just stood back and he just watched. And all the other kingdoms, they said, let's let them do themselves in. It'll be easier to conquer that way. See, the point there is Satan knew exactly where their weakness was, and boy, that's where he attacked. One thing to remember, Satan did not, he can't read your mind. He can't sense your emotions. The way Satan knows where you're and you difficulty is because we show him. We broadcast it. He didn't have to read our minds. He can see our actions. And when Israel ended up going into captivity, it was because of all of the sin and those fleshly desires and the, and the legacy of the first king uh, when the kingdom was divided, uh, Jehoram, in the direction he took them. The whole point here is, folks, I want you to understand, dads and granddads, the direction you take your family, the legacy you leave your family, the stand you take for God's Word and God's promise and God's purpose, that's going to carry out who knows how many generations. It's an imperative that we take a stand. I'm not even going to get into Hezekiah this morning. But he was a good king. So guess what God's word says about Hezekiah? He followed after David. Josiah? He was a good king. Followed after David. What a legacy David left. And when you study the scripture, the type of Christ 
from the time of David's life all the way through the book of Revelation. David is a type of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. When it talks about the throne that, that Christ is going to sit on, whose throne does it talk about? David's throne. Ezekiel 34, 23 talks about David's throne, the promise. And I will set up one shepherd over them. Who is that? And he shall feed them. Who is that? Even my servant David, he shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. That is referring to Christ. But Christ is going to sit in David's, on David's throne. Jeremiah 23, Tim, real fast. Verse 5. 23, 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. Even God's promises is, I'm going to promise based on David's walk with the Lord and David's faith. Behold, and, and God's promise. That's what this is really all about. And David believed God's promise. And he honored God's promise. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Isaiah 22, 22. Isaiah 22, 22. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. Whose shoulder is that? It's the Lord's. So he shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. You talk about a legacy. A legacy of faith. A legacy of purpose. That was the legacy of this father. David's heart was to do the will of his father. His faithfulness became the standard by which the future kings of Israel and Judah were measured. And what he did is he did not bring in any other gods. There was no idolatry. He made mistakes, but that wasn't one of them. And God honored that. You know, one of the greatest compliments, dads, that someone can give your son or your grandson or your daughter is to say, like father, like son. That should be your heart's desire. Like father, like son. And the way to have that done is to make sure you live your life like your heavenly father. So they say, like father, like son. That's my desire. Psalm 42 will be done. Dads, I pray this morning that this is your prayer. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 42. As the heart pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after thee. Who wrote that? David. Verse 2. My soul thirsts for God, 
for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? See, that needs to be the attitude of our dads here in 2020. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul after thee, O God. In my vision, I see a deer that's been running and running and running, especially in the desert. And there's not a lot of watering holes. And they're thirsty. And as that deer is searching for that water hole, he's searching for that place to drink and be refreshed. But he's panting in his desire and his, to, to refresh himself there. That's the way we pant. That's the way we long after God, dads. Listen, I challenge you to be a dad like that. Psalm 63.1. Look at Psalm 63.1. O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsts for Thee. My flesh longs for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. That is the testimony we need to leave our children, that that's the kind of Father we are, that God comes first in our lives, that we hunger for Him. We hunger for Him to do His work in our lives. They need to see it. They need to visualize that. They need to understand that your strength, your kindness, your love, your mercy, your graciousness, your faith comes from the true and living God. And they desire to be like their daddy. They desire to be the daddy. They desire the God that their dad has. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for these examples that we have of the legacy of faith. Father, may we learn from all of these Old Testament truths. Father, may we see clearly David's faithfulness, his desire to lead in a faithful manner. Father, may we understand the importance being a godly husband, being a godly father, a godly grandfather, a godly uncle, a godly example, being men of steel and velvet and understanding what your word calls us to be and faithfully being just that. Father, I pray for our dads here. I pray for all the men in this church who desire to be an example of your faithfulness and of your graciousness. Father, may we be those men of God, ready to take a stand for truth and righteousness in a world that is so opposed to the truth of God and the righteousness of God. Father, give us wisdom. Give us insight. Father, give me patience. Give us all patience, Father, as we serve you. We thank you for the salvation we have in Christ. 
We thank you that we belong to you. That's because of our relationship with Christ, your only begotten Son, that we can call you Abba, Father. That we can have that relationship with you and how thankful we are this morning for that. Father, I'm thankful this morning that it was not because of works or deeds or, or anything that I did, but because of your matchless grace, your unending love. Father, that before I loved you, you loved me. That while I was yet a sinner, you died for me. Father, you made the way for me to have a relationship with you so that I can call you my Heavenly Father. And Father, not just for me, but for all who hear, all who believe, trust by faith. Now, Father, as we depart here, Father, may we remember as dads the role that you've called us to undertake. Father, we pray for our mamas too and our grandmothers. Father, it's not easy raising children in these trying times. But Father, how thankful I am that you're there, that you lead and direct. And Father, that your word is there. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never trusted you as Savior, that this will be the morning. This will be the time that they realize their need for you and by faith trust Christ as their Savior. And we pray these things in that name that's above all other names. In the name of Jesus Christ, who's Lord of all, we pray. Amen.